Welcome to episode 13 of MADE, the podcast about purpose-driven design, making, and manufacturing. Today we're going to discuss how we would start today in making. Let's continue our conversation. Welcome back to MADE, everybody. With me, as always, is Claudia Berrigan. Hello. And, of course, Ray Peña. How are you doing? And I am Jose Valcarso. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Um, yeah. How about you? How are you, how are you guys? Doing yeah. a little hot. Hot. Yeah, it has been it's hot lately. Hot lately. Yeah. How's the weather up there in Delaware? Um, actually, today was not bad. Today was not bad. But I, w- I spent uh, part of the day outside. Um, you know we're building a new building. Yeah, 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 we're going to come down and see it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were cutting the foundation uh, uh, trench today. Oh, nice, 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 nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, cool, yeah. And Louis, so you're going to move some of the machines into there. Yeah, oh. we have another shop. It's located in another little town, and we're going to uh, bring over mm. the uh, the 280-ton press brake, the 14-foot nice. shear, the uh, the slip rolls. I mean, we're going to build uh, bring some of the other equipment. Uh, mm. So we can have it all in one one facility. Okay, sure, cool. I mean, you're also going to have some of that space for storage, right? Because you guys get a lot of material in, and you don't have where to put it sometimes. Um, probably at first it'll be uh, for storing that, and then quickly we'll run out of space. Yeah, <laughs> that always happens. That's always how it goes. Yeah, well, all right, cool. Well, I mean, just so that everybody knows, we're going to change the format a little bit today. Uh, and I think we'll do this like once a month is where we're going to go with, without any news this week. And we're going to go straight into our main topic, talk about the product of the week, and then we're going to sort of have an expanded section of what are we working on. Um, just to sort of give people, so it's going to be more of a maker episode more than anything else this week. Mm-hmm. And, and this was kind of motivated by some of the input we received from some of the listeners. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I think it was a good idea, and uh, yeah. I think it'll be very nice. Yeah, and you know, we'll you know, if people have more input, we'd love to hear it. Maybe one of the, maybe sometime maybe some days we just do a a show on just news. You know, if if people do enjoy that part of it, we can sort of go back and forth and make some of the episodes, some of the shows more focused on specific things. So mm-hmm. yeah, so keep evolving. Yeah, if if any of the listeners have any ideas, we'd be more than happy to listen. Yep, absolutely. All right, well, good. So let's get right into the main topic then. All right, so our topic today is uh, is an interesting one. Is we, we want to sort of discuss how we or how one, I guess, would start in making if you were starting today. You know, so we've all been involved in making in one way or another. Um, but I guess the first thing is maybe we should for people that don't know it, maybe that listen for the architecture part of it or listen for the design part of it. Why don't we give them a quick um, definition of what making is all about? Sure, um, and I can do that. I I looked up just the maker movement as a whole, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, most people define it in terms of a trend, and uh, it's usually where individuals or groups create a um, market or a, uh, create something or market a product which is recreated, manufactured, assembled um, by using various technologies and solutions, um, and it's not necessarily that this particular individuals or groups have a uh, the know-how 
the you know the the preemptive know-how or the infrastructure to be able to create these items um, to build them but what they do is they share the information and it's usually includes an open source format so crowdsource uh, sharing of information and that is a vital part of the process uh, it's usually it came from the arts and crafts but then later on to the do-it-yourself and the do it with others mm-hmm. type of subcultures that were there um, I you know you as far as technology is concerned, you know, like the there are some basic trend, typical main tools that uh, are used, like Arduino, Raspberry Pi, three D printing, which is what we've been talking a lot about, uh, CNC tools, uh, which then goes into metalworking, woodworking, and then the typical arts and crafts. Mm. Yeah, so it's quite broad. Yeah, I. Yeah. And then the other thing I really liked is the Wikipedia had a really good definition because it, it again it, it described it as a subculture but uh, the collaboration part was was highlighted there and the fact that there are uh, thousands of YouTube channels out there of people who are making stuff and teaching others how to do it and you know there's websites such as instructables that you know you you can do like a step-by-step way so um, the maker movement currently as a trend it follows that idea of a recipe. Hmm. So it's not necessarily design driven from the get go. Hmm. It could just be something that you see online and a step by step thing of how to do it. Hmm. So it's not, you know, a creative, it starts off creatively. And I think that's where we kind of divert from the typical definition of makers. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think one of the important parts of it too is that it's. Uh, the barrier to entry is pretty low, right? You you can start fairly easily in it. Um, and why don't we talk a little bit, I guess, about how we, we are all involved in it to one way or the other. Because um, uh, all three of us come from a similar background school-wise in that we all went to architecture school. Mm-hmm. But we've all sort of differentiated in different and ways. I'd like to add something to that. I actually got into a, a little bit of a... Of a um, discussion with an art professor, with an art professor friend of ours, about, because some art schools started taking the maker movement, like, again, as a trend, if you think of it as a trend, as a subculture, and trying to um, bring it into their schools as a um, academic um, path. And one of my biggest critiques of that is that it definitely takes out, takes away the community-based aspect of it. The fact that you don't, you know, you could be an average person um, from any walks of life, from any social economic background, and start making. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need to have a degree in art or a degree in architecture to start right. making. And when these trends are taken over by academia like that, it really has a big impact on on these movements. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important to to emphasize. Personally, I don't agree with that. I don't agree that you know this should be taken over like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, just just speaking about the uh, the art aspect, um, you know, I took a few art classes when I was in in college, and one of them was uh, ceramics, and uh, it's interesting because uh, another one was sculpture and such like that, but there was already making going on with the specific intent on creating art, and art sometimes would have the form of a utilitarian object. Uh, me personally, uh, art for art's sake is less useful than utilitarian art. 
something that mm -hmm. is actually going to be used every day. And I think part yes. of this maker movement concentrates much more on utilitarian forms than uh, art for art's sake. Yeah, um, so yeah, much more practical. Uh, whereas in you know when I was studying in uh, in college, it seemed to be to be much more oriented towards the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. uh, quality of, of making and and it still you you know welding and cutting and getting dirty with ceramics and firing it in a kiln uh, you know a lot of uh, making was involved uh, but uh, it's interesting that, it, that I was not aware that they're including this maker type movement I'm guessing to include uh, that utilitarian aspect as part of their academic um, curriculum yeah yeah, they, and it's specifically looking at the technology part of it, right? 3D printing and fabrication labs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so looking at it from that perspective. And again, you know, like when you're in a school setting, you have the ability to have to um, to to take advantage of, you know, a, a 3D printer that's $5,000, right? But does that take away from the fact that you could have one at home, you know, for less and you could still be making so it's the accessibility part to me that, that I start posing questions on. Mm -hmm. You know, and part of it may also be exposure. You know, typically your typical student's very young. Uh, maybe they don't have any of that exposure at home. And, and part of that uh, college lifestyle is being exposed to new things. And, and uh, you know, like you mentioned, some of the 3D printing equipment or CNC software or CNC machinery that they would not otherwise have access to. And I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just saying, I guess, yeah, like I agree with what you guys are both saying is there's a certain level of like a, approach, uh, uh, like not approach, but accessibility to the equipment. But I think it also to a degree comes to like, how does one learn, right? Mm -hmm. I think maybe the three of us are here have this unique point of view that we can, we have this ability of learning on our own, right? We have the ability mm -hmm. of like finding stuff out and sort sure. of pushing ourselves and learning that way. Some people need the structure of a school and here's an assignment, go make this, go or do design on this thing or what, what it might be in order to learn how to do the things. That's very true. Um, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Very and you do, you do bring up a good point because when I started, I was uh, 15, 16 years old. Mm -hmm. I, I picked up a book on on wood turning, having never touched a lathe before, not knowing anything. I picked up a book. There was a set of plans in there. I went out and built a lathe. Uh, but some people, uh, I I have shared the story and they and they've seen the books and they said, I don't know how you do that. Mm -hmm. And my response is, it's right here in the book. It's not right. it's not that difficult. And you're absolutely right. Some people do have much more difficulty in that type of information extraction. Mm -hmm. Right. from a book on their own on uh, without being prodded or guided mm -hmm. uh, and I th do think you're correct I do, I do think that some people need that guided structure of a formal education in a formal setting um, with a, a, a formalized uh, syllabus <laughs> right, <laughs> to be yeah. able to, to be able to extract that knowledge right some people just need that curriculum basically yeah. in order to be able to do or, it or friends right so mm -hmm. like now that we're gonna jump into this you know it's like either get a book or get friends <laughs> yeah. and start working with friends. Yeah. <laughs> start well, working I mean, with friends. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the great things about the time that we live in is that it is easier to find the knowledge to get into making, right? Mm -hmm. You can find YouTube videos. You can find books about it. You can go to fairs about it. 
So, you know, something that you know, 10 years ago, or well, probably 10 years, probably more like 20 years ago, you didn't have that ability that you had to like go look at an encyclopedia or something, you know? Yeah. No. All right, so should yeah. we get... So, I mean, so, okay. So we sort of define what making is. We sort of even given some level of like how you can become educated on it. Um, I guess the next part is, let's just for the three of us, just speaking to the three of us, if you were to be starting today, I guess, what would you first start on? I know right now, Ray, you personally do a lot of wood making, right? You do a lot of things with wood related. Yes. Um, would you, do you think you still would do that? You think you would go wood or you think you might get into other types of making? Um, that's a good question because even though uh, at home I have a shop, mm-hmm. I also work all day in a shop. Right. Uh, one that's much better equipped. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, um, and in the in the shop at work, I'm exposed to a lot of materials. And so the the, the nature of the making that I do as a profession is not directly impacted by the materials I work with. The materials are almost irrelevant. Right. And, and it doesn't matter to me if it's copper or steel or aluminum or, or wood, plastic, stone. Uh, we, we work in so many materials that, that it, it has almost become an irrelevant uh, portion of the making. Uh, whether I'm building a machine or making a fixture or mm-hmm. just a sign, it, it, it becomes almost pointless. But at home, I do, a, like you mentioned, a lot of woodworking. And to me, it was very, it was very simple. I was, uh, I was 16 years old, 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And you may not be aware of it, but there was a, a gentleman named Roy Underhill. Back when the only making or, or how-to shows were on public uh, mm-hmm. access, PBS. And he had a show called The Woodwrights Shop. Mm-hmm. And in this show, yeah. he basically... You, you remember this? I see. I I seen some of it. I don't, I'm not that familiar with it, but I, I remember seeing a couple of snippets of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and as you may be familiar with this old house and other mm-hmm. little shows like that, uh, you know, twenty or more. Well, twenty five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, were were more uh, more the norm of what you would see. You wouldn't didn't have the internet and access to whenever you wanted. So what caught my attention is that he was working with wood with tools that were 150 200 years old hmm. so he did everything the quote unquote the old fashioned way the hard way and uh it was it was that moment that was the moment that the light went off and i saw wood and i saw the ability to transform it with simple tools it's this <laughs> she's laughing because claudia's laughing because you said i saw wood <laughs> oh that's that she found that funny yes um, so yeah, I saw this material being transformed uh, quite easily, quite simply with, with rudimentary tools. Right. Um, and and that's what called my attention. And mm-hmm. you know, we were all in Florida, uh, as you know, people like to cut down trees and they mm-hmm. cut down trees at an enormous rate. Yeah. So for me, the raw material was available around every corner. I couldn't go anywhere without picking up a few logs of wood. Mm-hmm. And it, I ended up covering my entire backyard in logs, all of which I got for free. And the entire learning process for me was was a free endeavor, uh, reutilizing what would have been a waste product. And um, you you guys may have seen seen some of the bowls I made that are here that were 25 years old from those very logs. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would still do wood no matter what. Yeah. Um, and and if I had to start all over again without the knowledge I have now, 
I still think that uh, the nature of that material uh, will call to me. And, and I think everybody loves wood. I think you look at wood and you can appreciate it. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's right. all different. Uh, you can no shape it to so many different things. Right? Yeah, and no two pieces are the same. Right. Yeah. What about you guys? What about you, Claudia? Hmm. If you were starting today... Well, I, I would design first. Mm -hmm. Like, that's my... Like, I tend to... I tend to look at things digitally mm -hmm. first. Um, and I... Like, I, I overthink things, too. So, to me, like... I can attest to that. You can attest to that, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's, a, if it's a girl thing. I have no idea. No, just you. Just me. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so one of the things that I do, I mean, it's to me is like, even before the, the, the material or the next steps, like, you know, what tools even mm -hmm. to me, it's like, what problem needs to be solved? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, that's the first, um, the first task at hand. Like, it's usually like, again, you know, like making with a purpose. Right. So that usually dictates what, um, what material I'm going to use for, for, and then the budget too, um, because I, you know, I don't necessarily, I may not necessarily have money to be able to spend on something. Or sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll even think of, oh well, I could make that myself. Why should? Why am I going to pay for that mm -hmm. if I could, you know, grab a couple of pieces of wood and try to put it together myself? Mm -hmm. So, in a in, in a way, it's more of a of a problem solving, whether it's my financial needs or a design solution that is not out there yet that I need to be, that, that I need solved. Mm -hmm. And then I would, you know, depending on that is what I would choose. But, you know, the other, the other big part is constantly using the same thing as Ray said, is keeping in mind the recycle factor of it. You know, mm -hmm. the three R's of recycle, you know, reuse, recycle. And, um, and reduce and reduce so mm -hmm. that's the that's a big that's the biggest thing so yeah so you'd be more driven by the the problem is what you're saying yeah, yeah. that's that's what drives mm -hmm. everything for me mm. not necessarily the physical act of making right. no and well and the making part to me is um i and i think it's more of a of a of an issue of not having the means right for me at least is that, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't necessarily have the means to buy certain things, so I had to make it myself. So, you know, I remember I, I needed a bed when I was in college. So the first thing I was like, okay, well, what can I get? What can I do in, at Home Depot to put together a frame for my bed? Mm. It wasn't a bed. It was a, I needed the, the frame for a bed. And, yeah, I designed it really quick, and I saved up, saved up money for the pieces of plank of wood, and I... You know, made myself a really big bed. I remember that one. Yeah, and it, so I remember to me, we took it, it apart that. and made something else out of it. Yeah, and it was really heavy. But you know, again, the problem solving still. Yeah, it was right. the problem solving, but it was like, but then that gave me another problem because it was really heavy to use. Right, <laughs> I was right. like, what do I use? So, but it's, I think it's one of those like, yeah, as 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 as, a, as as someone who's not necessarily looking at. The fabrication of it and all of the tools that need to be used. And mm. no, that's interesting. I think um, for myself, I well, I also lean towards that towards the design part of it. Cause, but I think that's mostly because that's where that's where we went to school for. Right, we went to school for yes. designing mm -hmm. designing buildings or whatnot. Um, I think what drives me more now, and I think 
what I haven't done for a while, which is what I'm trying to get towards more, is when I, when I was little, I was lucky that my grandmother was an artist, but she wasn't just a painter. She, she would do sculptures, she would do paper mache, she would do a whole lot of things. And she was the, the first, one of the people that first, when I was little, when I was five years old, she taught me to do origami, for example, mm-hmm. right? So, so I think having that influence from her always sort of made me do things with my hands. And so not so much of, uh, that's why I've never been, I've not been as much driven towards the tools, you know, I like or the bandsaws and all of that stuff, even though I'm getting more into that now. Um, it's always been about sort of doing things with my hands. That's why I'm getting more into doing, you know, this kind of thing over here, the, the model kits and stuff now, because it's that sort of making something with my hands that I appreciate. I think I still would be in architecture. Um, and luckily, because I studied computer science, I have that sort of background towards the computers part of it, um, which is what makes me pick up the wanting to make my own kits now and make them use a 3D printer for it, that sort of thing. So and model it. And model it myself and, and, and that sort of thing and, get, and then finally get to the actual putting together with my hands. Um, so I, I think I would, you know, if I was starting now and I hadn't gone to architecture school, I wonder if I would go to architecture school or if I would try and go more towards like a, a design, sort of industrial design, like, you know, making items, like the, designing lamps and things like that. I don't know, you know, so, yeah, I don't know. That's sort of where I would be at it. I think I would move so towards those. you would still be pushing more towards design? I think so. I mean, I, I think that's really what drives me. I, I, there's interests that I have that I want to do more stuff around. But I think it would still be more towards the design part of it. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think we're all driven, well, all three of us are driven by design because we went to the science school. Yeah, I, yeah I agree. Mm-hmm. Now, what's interesting is that, you know, that's the, that, that was the question. If we had to start now, what we, mm-hmm. you know, what we would do. But what it, what it kind of makes me think about is how I actually started, like how mm-hmm. you actually started. Mm-hmm. And um, and for me, it was, you know, like I said, I was uh, 16 and the very first thing I built uh, that I and and maybe I should take a step back. You know, we defined making and mm-hmm. and maybe what a maker, the kind of characteristics that a maker would have and and how you would gain that knowledge. But I think fundamentally, you 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 have to have a desire. Mm-hmm. You have to have this drive or a love of doing something with your hands and I am not a hundred percent convinced that you can learn to have that desire. You know, you, uh, you, you I agree. Yeah. You you have to have that desire. That that's the first thing. And when you have it, you will find a way uh, to do it. Now, lacking exposure and knowledge, you might need a little bit of guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, you know, what is the first thing I'm going to need? I want to make stuff. I don't know what. What is the first thing I need? And uh, for me, my first project was, and this might sound crazy, building a lathe. The very first thing I wanted to do after seeing Roy Underhill mm-hmm. was go build a 10-foot <laughs> beast of a lathe, and, and uh, I didn't have room to put it, so I had to shrink it down to 8 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I ended up making a, a video recently of the lathe that I built 25 years ago, uh, and it's actually been quite popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I had those pictures around. Uh, but the very first thing I needed to take one uh, take material from one form to another was a means by which to cut it so mm-hmm. the very first tool you absolutely had to have was a saw and the very next tool 
was a tool required to help put things together. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're building a house, that would be a hammer for nails. Right. But if you're building things that you want to be uh, more robust, it means a drill. You have to drill holes and you have to put in screws and you have to put in bolts. So the very two first tools that I ever purchased was a, a, a saw. And it could be a hand saw, a circular saw. I happen to get both. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next tool was a drill. And probably within a day or two of each other. And... It was one of those things, uh, it was kind of like this organic development. I knew I needed to cut wood, so I got a saw. And after I cut it all up, well, I, now I have no way to put it together. Uh, right. now, now I have a, to get a drill, and I have to drill holes. And then, of course, uh, you have to take things apart, so you need screwdrivers, you know, simple set of screwdrivers. Mm-hmm. And I think but that first lathe, I built it with, with just that, three tools. And mm-hmm. it was, when you think about it, yeah, that, and that was mm-hmm. all it was, a saw, a drill, and some screwdrivers. And, and uh, I'm sorry, and and uh, a handful of wrenches. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, wrenches. Yeah, to be able to tighten the bolts with. Hmm. So it was with very little. With very little, I built a machine that uh, I ended up selling it um, a year ago for about a thousand dollars. And it probably cost me maybe three hundred dollars to build something like that. Hmm. Of course, there's some time in between. But that kind of ties into that aspect that Claudia was mentioning is uh, the marketability of whatever you're making. When I was making it, it was to satisfy this desire. Uh, Then something else, you know, 25 years later, something else came along, but it was still marketable. And I was able to to sell that tool, even though that was not my original intent. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because that wasn't the, the, the original intent. Yeah, but I mean, I think that's a large part of how things that are successful become successful. They don't start with the, how am I going to make money to this thing? It's sort of you find the thing you want to make, the thing you like, the thing you want, the, the thing that, that drives you, right, mm-hmm. or you want to solve, that if you start there, you know, chances are that's going to become successful down the road because you it's coming at it from a place of, I don't want to say passion, but, a, a, yeah. but, but essentially, is, you yeah. know. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Desire. Mm-hmm. Right. I would also add um, curiosity to this mm-hmm. whole mixture too. I think that yeah, while some people may not be in tune to um, to make to start making something, and yeah, I can think of many people, inclusive of my mom, mm-hmm. <laughs> my mother. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, she is curious, and I think that you know, I think it's one of those things that when you have kids, or even when you know other kids, they mm-hmm. don't even have to be your kids. You know, to constantly be instilling that curiosity that is innate in all of us. Mm-hmm. So, like, direct that curiosity is an interesting thing because, you know, nowadays, especially with the having access to so much, mm-hmm. sometimes that takes away the curiosity away from, from finding how things work mm-hmm. uh, because they just do work. There's a phone and it just works and I'm, I can get another one. Mm-hmm. rather than actually mm-hmm. understanding how it's put together, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with everything you guys have said. I think for me, the first things that I would get, um, and it's funny because I, I think back when I started in architecture school, um, the first thing that I did for myself was, like, I set up my area of this is where I'm going to, I got myself a drafting table, and like this mm-hmm. is where my drafting table is going to go when I need to do stuff. I'm going to do it right here. So I send out this area, you know, like this is my area. 
Um, and I think that's important when you're starting and making because otherwise you're like going to be all over the place. You're going to have stuff everywhere and you're not, you're not going to be able to like focus on doing something. So like when I think back on starting on that stuff, I, I found my area where I was going to work. Um, I think that's where I would start. Designating an area. Designating yeah. an area where my work is going to be. Like, this is where I'm going to work. Because that makes you also be organized about it. You know? And I have a hard time being organized at times, as, as Claudia can attest. Yeah. Um, well, you definitely need a space. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I, and I think it's important to designate it. Like, this is going to be my area for that. Um, I think the next thing is, you know, is, yeah, to start gathering some of the tools, like you said, Ray. I think also one of the things that you said and it almost can one can gloss over it when you think about when you start naming the tools and everything is that you found your project first right so i think if you're not if it's not as clear for you so this is the things i want to start making you need to start sort of coming up with that and whether that to do that you need to get yourself a, a sketchbook to start drawing in the things you want to make or or start thinking about writing down the things you want to make making yourself a list of the things you need I think, you know, that sort of organization always helps. Because um, you had, you already sort of had it laid out for you. Like, here it is, this is what you need for, to make this thing. You know, I think... Yeah, I knew what yeah. I wanted to build and I had right. nothing with which to build it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think you you, you hit a, on a good point that I wasn't even thinking about. The, the project is what motivated the, the making. Because right. there are so many different projects. If you wanted to make pillows, if you woke up one day and said, I have to make pillows today, you do mm -hmm. not need a saw. Right. Yeah. You you need so a sewing machine. You still machine. need something to cut with, though. Yeah. You need right. some shears and a sewing machine, some yeah. thread. So the arsenal, if you will, the arsenal mm -hmm. of tools that you would need, is uh, project oriented, and that project is going to be desire motivated. Right. Right. Yeah. And one thing. So we've been looking at some of the websites, and you know, like sort of like the guides to what do you need to become a maker, mm -hmm. and it's interesting because when you look at some of the lists they include the price, the cost for the tools needed, mm -hmm. and um, the list that that Ray mentioned, you know, very simple list, and mm -hmm. and like you said, it's like basically you have this arsenal, and when you're starting off, I personally like to not get the top of the line tool, and the specific tool that you need for this specific task, um, because you do have this like, you know, the basic tools and. They don't have to be expensive. You can even absolutely you know, most my first tools, my first set of tools, my, my toolbox that I put together when I was in college, came from a dollar store. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, now I can go and get tools from state sales. Yeah, and you can get some pretty good, you know, and they're used, you know, they're new to you, mm -hmm. and that's those are the best tools because number one, they've been worn in, which is great, um, and two is like if you break them. <laughs> Right. which I will do, <laughs> um, then it's fine. Do you remember, Ray, the the the, um, the saw issue that we oh, had? Oh, yeah, I remember the saw issue. <laughs> In college. <laughs> but it's one of those days, yeah, you have a blade and you, you know, you, you're bound to break your friend's blade at some yeah. point. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's definitely something that people need to consider that it doesn't have to be expensive and there's many... Absolutely. Well, and I think you definitely need to find inexpensive ways of getting those tools to begin with. Mm -hmm. Just, um, and I know there's a lot of people out there that will jump out and be like, nope, I'm going to go get the top of the line, this, the top of the yeah. line, that. Has um, to be the best. Has to be the best, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and okay, if you have those means, I guess it's fine. But, you know, 
if you want to, like we say, if you want to sew pillows, you don't necessarily need to go out and buy the best singer sewing machine right mm-hmm. off the bat. Right? You All can right. start sewing pillows by hand. It's going to be a Absolutely. pain probably, but you yeah. could start that way. So I think keep that in mind. Try and be frugal about it at first. Yeah, work yeah. your way up. Mm-hmm. And there, yeah, and you do bring up a good point because there are different, definitely different levels of quality when it comes to tools. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my first drill, my first saw that I, I told you I purchased, I had those up until quite recently. Mm-hmm. The the drill after more than twenty years finally failed, and and I I don't remember exactly, but I think I paid like thirty five dollars for that mm-hmm. drill yeah. uh, back then. And then the saw I ended up selling it at a yard sale. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I ended up getting a much better saw. But, yeah, they were not the top of the line. I think my drill and saw combined were less than $75 or $80 or something like that. Hmm. And uh, today, the one I have now is like a $300 saw. And hmm. because I, I use it quite a bit. So those levels of, of quality uh, really determine are determined by how much you intend to use it. If you are a first-timer that you don't know if this is a thing you like, you know, might and you might only use this once, so you never, you don't really know. You can, uh, or, or you're learning to do it, right? You're probably you're, gonna, learning, you're yeah. probably gonna break the thing while you're learning to use it. Exactly. Yeah. And I will tell you, the the better tools, which are more expensive, um, many times are that way for a reason. They mm-hmm. last longer. They take more abuse. They're designed for much more use. Mm-hmm. But if you are not a contractor, you don't need a contractor grade saw. So those, like I said, those tools which I bought inexpensively lasted me more than twenty years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I guess let's name some of the things that we would get as we go through. I mean, you you sort of named a couple of things. You would you would get a, a so you, when you say a saw, you mean just like a handsaw. Um, I I did get a handsaw, um, and which is it's useful because here's what's interesting. Even with modern motorized tools, mm-hmm. there are still a few things they cannot do. Uh, because the blade is spinning and it's round, guess what? If you if you want to stop a cut, mm-hmm. it doesn't cut all the way to your line. Right. So you still need a handsaw. Even to this day, mm-hmm. you still need a handsaw to finish cutting um, all the way down if you needed to, to stop your cut. Right. But, um, you know, the, the saw, if you're going to be doing wood, and, and I think to be able to determine what you're going to be doing, if you're more interested in electronics then those tools will be obviously geared in right. that direction. Right, right, right. Those, yeah, those tools yeah, will be solder. different. Soldering. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, if you're going to do electronics, you probably want to get a solder a solder gun. You want to get some solder. You want right. to get a multimeter. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think there are lists for the specific things. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you might know, need think, a power supply. Right. Exactly. Um, I think some of the general things that you always need are like glue, tape, sanding paper, screwdrivers. Much. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and a lot of those things are inexpensive that you Measuring can get. Tape. Clamps. You always need clamps, right? To hold you can stuff. never have too many clamps. Right. Yes. Yep. 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 <laughs> Ray has told us that <laughs> multiple times, and then whenever we're clamping stuff, we realize, mm-hmm. yep, he was right. Yeah, you see well, how I many clamps it. I have. Yeah. I had to show you the C clamp I got uh, this weekend. That actually has yeah, the state cell that actually has two of the the screw parts to it. Um, I'll, I'll show you. I'll bring it down. Maybe after we're done recording. Oh, that's recording. for edge clamping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. which so I was I was I got it for like a dollar at a, at an estate sale. Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, um, so. I should show you my cabinet clamps. I have oh. cabinet clamps which are designed just to hold the face of cabinets together. 
mm-hmm. flush, so when you attach them, they're perfect. Nice. And, and they're not good for anything else. <laughs> but but they do that job yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Well, well, uh, and, and maybe that's the thing. When you start making, you may, may try and avoid the things that are good for only one thing. Yes. Yeah. You want something that you can use for multiple, right, multiple right, right, right. projects. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting that we're, we're having this conversation about the tools because uh, you've seen how much, how much tools I have. Yeah. Uh, I have quite a few. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have sold probably as many as I have now I have gotten rid of. Mm-hmm. Uh, partially because of, of space and the other reason is uh, I no longer, they were no longer useful to me because I wasn't doing those projects anymore. Uh, for example, like my pipe threader. I don't need to have a $1,000 pipe threader if I'm not going to be using it. So I ended right. up getting rid of it. Anyway, when I built my collection of tools, it was based on need. So the first need was starting. you got to have a saw and a drill. The next need was maybe I was uh, doing some finer furniture and needed to uh, route the edges. So I ended up getting a router. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as these projects developed, the need for the tool arose, and then that's when mm-hmm. I went and purchased a tool. So your your tool shop and your collection of tools is organic and evolving. And as your complexity and as your projects change and as your abilities improve and your knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, you can add to that arsenal you have with tools, maybe upgrade your tools, and build it slowly. It took me more than 20 years to collect my tools. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you had to do it all at once, it'd be astronomical. Right. And that's a really good point that you bring up because at the urban scale, when you don't have that much space, some of the uh, solutions for that um, now in, you know, just in the, in the world that we live in is, you know, in the Uber world that we live in is what I would call it, is that, you know, there's like this fab fabrication spaces or um, uh, you would call it collective tool shops where you would go because you live in a you know in a studio apartment that's barely 500 square feet so you don't have the, the space for it and maybe you want to start building something so you would go and share some of these tools with others but that limits you based on what you just mentioned Ray mm-hmm. you know it limits you to what's available there mm-hmm. and it limits your imagination it limits your need and limits the projects that you will work on right. so eventually you can you have you could possibly lose the, the, the want to continue making. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's one of the reasons why here in the district and in, in D.C., we don't see such a big maker movement because people tend to Uberize their, their maker spaces. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just a one-time need. Mm-hmm. While you can actually start doing certain things or building your tool box, um, at the scale that you live in mm-hmm. and then later on you know you absolutely you, mm-hmm. I, I think it can be done it's just it doesn't have to be done in the trend way that we're no. moving towards um so i, yeah. I just wanted to bring that up then i, I agree 100 i think what I, I like what ray was saying is that i think you should almost let the projects that you want to do drive the tools that you get you know sometimes you may want to like i'm going to do this project because i'm going to have to buy this tool to do it and then i'll have this tool and it's going to make me do more of these things you know, I think that's okay to do. Don't go buy a tool that's going to sit there for, you know, a year until you get to use it because you don't have the project to do it yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the better way is I have this project, I need this tool, I'm going to go buy the tool to do the project, I'm going to do more of those kind of projects. 
Yeah, there were times in which uh, Jose and I, we, I mean, we lived in a, in a 600 plus square foot apartment, the mm-hmm. two of us. And there were times that we were working on a full on, like a full set of chairs mm-hmm. that we were uh, upcycling and we couldn't do it in our apartment. So we would take it outside and we mm-hmm. would take over the, the loading dock. The loading dock. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about that was that we would spend a good, you know, three to four hours outside and we would meet all of our neighbors and they would all know and ask us what we were doing and we would show it to them. And it became like, you know, oh yeah, Claudia and Jose are always working on stuff, Mm -hmm. but also they're teaching others and they're seeing people that can do it. And then later on, you would see other people doing the same thing. Right. So. Yeah, it actually started like a trend in the apartment building because other people started using the loading dock for their projects as well. Yeah. So public space can also be that space. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be in a fabrication shop. It doesn't have to be Uberized. It can be. That's why we have public spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in your little tiny apartment, you had a bandsaw. Yeah. We did. We, we made. How big was that model? The model was the size of a table at one point. We Claudia was working for this architecture firm at one point, and they needed to do because she was doing a lot of um, a lot of uh, master, plan. master planning. So we were do, we had to do this model, and they they I mean we we got, they paid us. But we built into the cost of making this model. We built in the cost of getting a bandsaw, and you know we were using this bandsaw to cut the the buildings, and we did this basically section of a city model for for this architecture firm. Um, and it was good that she broke that blade too, by the way. Right. <laughs> and I explained it to her. I'm like, yeah. when you use this, you cannot yeah. twist it. You'll break it. And that right. was the first thing she did, first five minutes. Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah, yeah. Did it again. <laughs> I had to go buy two of, at some point too, yeah. just so we had a backup one. Yeah. Yes. Don't give me a blade. I'll break it. Yeah. 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 And then okay. like, I think you had like a little a little table saw too. Yeah. yeah, she had a little table saw, and that was more for, like, architectural models and things yeah. like that, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, cool. the scale of your tools were actually in complete agreement with the scale of your space, because right. you had a very small space, and uh, they weren't obtrusive. You couldn't put one of my bandsaws in that little no. apartment. No. No, no, no. No, I mean, and I'll tell you, you know, Claudia st- talked about taking up, uh, taking up uh, turning wood, you know, and, and getting a lathe or whatever. And we've seen lathe at some state sales. Like actually, this past weekend, I saw a Shopsmith one that was wow. both a sander. It had the sander and the lathe all there, but mm. it was enormous. We there, there's no way we could have that here, <laughs> you know. So well, and, you and just and have to get rid to of your living room. Yeah, it's exactly. We could have we could have a boat in it like you do. <laughs> you know the boats outside. No, the boats outside. Oh, so, outside yeah. Okay, so you lost that battle. No, I mean, it was time to move it out because I was doing a lot more sanding and making massive. Oh, yeah, you got to do that outside. Yeah. 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 All so, right, yeah, the listeners are not aware. Um, I built a boat in my, a 12-foot boat in my living room, mm. and my wife was not happy about it. <laughs> but if, if the listeners are so inclined, the secret to doing this is you don't ask permission. Right. You, you just, just do start. it. <laughs> ask forgiveness. That's what you it's do. It's a lot easier to ask for forgiveness, yeah. All right. Well, I mean, as what what else do we need to cover as far uh, as this is concerned? Paint. Right. You're gonna need paint and stain and mm-hmm. yeah, different things depending on the project. Um, yeah, and, I, and that's another thing that's that's dictated by the project. I mean, if you're right. if you're making a a box that you're gonna have outside for your flower, you know, flower box, mm-hmm. um, that'll dictate your material. It'll dictate your method of construction and of course your finish. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, and I, I never even thought about uh, about that. Having this conversation kind of really uh, opened up my eyes uh, that everything I've been doing has always been project uh, dictated, uh, including mm-hmm. you know my collection of tools and, and how mm-hmm. I even got started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the things you should have, no matter what you're doing, probably goes to safety. Maybe like safety glasses. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, gloves, maybe. Dust mask. Mm-hmm. A dust mask wouldn't be bad. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe earplugs if you're doing stuff that's loud. Um, fire. Fire extinguisher. Extinguisher, yes. Well, hopefully you don't need a fire extinguisher. <laughs> well, if you're working with soldering and you never know. <laughs> but you know, the one thing that you cannot get any other way is experience. At, at some point, you have to get and start cutting and making and drilling holes and. Mm-hmm. Um, as you as you learn with time, you learn how to cut a piece of wood correctly. You learn how to drill a hole correctly, um, how to use screws. You've, in fact, you learn about screws. How mm. drywall screws are really only good for drywall. If you try using them for wood, you end up breaking the heads. Um, there, there's a lot of learning that happens as a as a byproduct of the actual making. Mm. Things that you cannot read about. Things that you cannot be told. Uh, that are you're only going to learn through the actual experience itself, right. and and so even though you're making something, every experience is learning, and uh, we, you know coupled with that is there will be mistakes. Do not be afraid of making mistakes. Yeah. Mistakes happen. I have ruined many pieces of wood. I've made many mistakes. Uh, in fact, I've broken several windows. Um, when a piece of wood came flying off the lathe, I ended up breaking some windows. So, <laughs> so even windows have been sacrificed in this. Uh, well, and I think the thing, I, yeah, the thing I like about what you just said is, I think the thing people have to get past in order to start making is get past their fear yeah. of doing it. Um, I th- I, and this is a discussion I was having with some coworkers recently, where they were telling me like, "Oh yeah, now we get my dad to do this." And I was like, you know, you don't have the excuse to not, like when we were growing up and we were, you know, of high school and college age, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have the ability of seeing other people doing it so much and learning how to do it before we even tried it ourselves. So I think, I think having that now can help you get past the fear of, of doing it. And once you get past the fear of doing it, it's just starting to do it little by little, Mm -hmm. you know? And I would say, I would add to that, um, to the ladies out there that are crafters, that Mm -hmm. do arts and crafts, is challenge yourselves Mm -hmm. to do, you know, to go the next step. Um, Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with arts and crafts. I think it's Mm -hmm. perfectly fine. And to do that is, you know, there's so much detail in that and such great things in that. But you can do, take on larger, larger projects or, again, if, if you're looking at it from a solution a problem-solving issue, perspective, then you can you can challenge yourself. You mm-hmm. should challenge yourself. Well, what's next? What can what else can I do? What's what's the, what's the next big thing that I can do? Right. Or, and the thing I would say about that is how can I do it differently than everybody else is doing it? Mm-hmm. You know, because I think that e- an easy thing to get into is that you do this is what everybody's doing. I'm just gonna do this. It's like no, let's rethink it. Let's do it differently. Maybe mix media. I don't know something like that. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You know, um, having this, you know, we've been talking now 45 minutes and, and, and mm-hmm. the wheels have been turning. And, you know, uh, one of the things I said that was a, a big um, spark for me was the, the desire that I had this desire to make mm-hmm. something. 
And Claudia, you mentioned that you know some people might just have curiosity. So I'm wondering, I'm thinking that if you are curious about something in today's day, 20 years ago before the internet, uh, actually, uh, internet came what 91, 1991. Yeah, uh, so, but it wasn't wasn't like it is now. No. But 20 or so years ago, 25 years ago, you if you had curiosity, the only way to satisfy it is you had to go do it. Right. Now, if you have curiosity and you get on YouTube and you you know do a search like you know making a coffee table, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll find 500 videos on making a coffee table, and I'm wondering if you watch all those videos. If you satisfy the curiosity, does mm. it actually interfere with you going out and making? If if all you have is curiosity, if you have drive, if you have desire, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to stop you. But if you're just curious, oh, I wonder how they make a table, and you go look at it, oh, look at 500 different coffee tables. That that's nice. Let me go to bed now. You know, <laughs> mm. I, I'm curious. I, I mean, I'm I'm not saying that that's what happens. I'm just wondering, is yeah. having too much information kind of Killing that uh, that drive, that that creativity that would have been kind of the default mm-hmm. 25 years ago. You're curious. Guess what? You you got to go do it. Right. There's no way around yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would I would say yeah. I, I I agree. I think that there are some people that will do that uh, because that's the that's the the bad thing about watching something sometimes you know like like food you know when you're hungry mm-hmm. and you just watching food makes you okay well i'm no longer hungry just see you know, <laughs> i've never that experienced that, that, that doesn't happen okay, okay, that doesn't happen to guys food that i don't think is normal <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, 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 <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but um, but i will say this though um that's why for me the need plays a big role because if i see you know how do they put a, a table together if i have a need to make a table because I don't have the means to buy one, mm-hmm. then I will go ahead and, you know, like do the math and say, oh, I can make it myself and it will cost me a lot less than doing it. See, but I feel like you just disagree with yourself. And I was disagreeing with what you were saying earlier because you just, you were saying that if you go and you watch the videos, then it might make you not curious about it anymore. But For those what, with means. Right. But I think, I think... If you watch videos and that makes you not want to see it anymore, you probably were never going to do it. You really weren't looking to actually do the thing. Um, and I think, you know, 20, 30, heck, 60 years ago in the 50s, there were people that probably were curious about, oh, I wonder how they make a table. And, you know, they didn't have the way of knowing, so they would just be like, they make a table. Quiet about it, you know, and then they would move on with their lives. Now you can at least find out how they made a table, and then they would go on with their lives anyway. The people that want to make a table are going to find out. Oh, this is how you make a table. I'm going to go make a table now. Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't think it stops. I think if anything, it's the sharing information makes it easier for those that want to do it to actually do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I how I feel exclude, about it. I mean, the people who are just curious and they weren't going to make anything anyway. Right, but they can at least satisfies learn. that. Right. Yeah. No, that's true. All right. Well, I think it's been a good discussion. I, I think people let us. I don't, I don't know if we fully covered what we were talking. We wanted to talk about. But well, I think we did. One one final thought, though. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we were just talking about putting things on on video, right? On online and stuff. That's one of the things you most people forget, and I. This happens even when I go get a haircut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are like, "You came in one way, and look at you now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're coming out another way. Let me take a photo, right? Mm-hmm. Like like a before and after type of thing." Mm-hmm. 
it's it's really important to have as as, as far as the the tools that you need having a camera and a tripod just to take uh to document what you've been doing because that encourages you to continue right. doing it yeah and then it it helps you share that later on mm-hmm. yeah i agree all right cool well cool. so i think that's that's what we have to say so for today about how you we would start in making um so let's just go right to our product of the week. Alright, well this week for the product of the week, um, it's another product that we saw back at National Maker Fair now a few weeks ago. Um, uh, and it's called the Bose Build, which essentially is a, a Bluetooth speaker that you put together yourself. And you can customize. Uh, what do you guys think about this uh, product? Well, I have my ideas, but I'm kind of curious because you guys actually saw it uh, mm-hmm. firsthand. I'm kind of curious what you guys think of it. Um, it was small in size. It was very, um, and I don't. I mean, we didn't see the the final. It was a beta product when we well, saw no, it. Well, no, because I mean, it was two weeks away from two from weeks lunch, away, so it was so it wasn't fully so, beta. So no, um, it was it was ready. It just hadn't launched yet. I thought it was very. It was. It was quite small. It was very. It was definitely geared towards children. Mm-hmm. Um, in comparison, so based on what I just said, which is very simple, right? Mm-hmm. Small and geared towards children. Um, so you know, you could even draw like on the face plates or the covers, but it's literally just a piece of pla- a piece of paper, mm-hmm. and you can grab a crayon and color it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that rudimentary. Um, it costs one hundred and forty nine dollars now. The kit. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's the part that I it kind of I'm not sure like now I know what comes with it, but mm-hmm. I still don't quite understand whether it justifies the the price tag. Yeah, I think for me, I, I didn't really think it was geared towards children, um, and most of the people that I thought were trying it out when they were there were not really kids, um, at least not children. The, Teens. Okay, okay, maybe teens. And when you say children, I'm like, they're not really gearing it towards like 10 year olds. Um, I think it's more of like a teenager, high tween, schooler yeah. like kind of age. Um, but I think even then, I think where they f- they fall short because of the price, I think they fall short because for $149, you can find a, a Bluetooth speaker that you don't get to put yourself. I think they're, they're, what they were, what at the Maker Fair, it came off as if they were trying to show this as an educational tool. Because it would show, a lot of, I guess a lot of people don't know how a speaker works. And this would show you how a speaker works and then you end up with the speaker. Um, similar to, I guess, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with the Piper. You, can, you learn how to put together this computer and I have the computer. But the computer lets you do a lot more than the speaker lets you do. <laughs> you know, the speaker, you ha- once you have it, you're just listening to music. Um, so I think, to, for me, it falls short of what it could be, because it's not expandable in any way, it's not, it's just a speaker that you put together yourself. With colors, with lights and magnets. Mm-hmm. Is that really necessary? Yeah. That's well, the right. magnet is, because you can't have a speaker without a magnet, but do you really need the lights for a speaker? I don't think you do. I don't know. Um, well, if, you, if, you're, if you're a girl, 
and you're 12 years old and you're hanging out with your friends. We're gonna be six. No, but you, you know you want to you know you want to have a, a pink a pink colored or purple your favorite color right a favorite color. Okay. I mean it's not that I'm I'm trying to be sexist, you would, but I think you're finding a reason for why this why the speaker becomes useful. It doesn't it's not it, useful. It's, I don't think it. it's useful, but I can see why why they would think that that particular aspect of having this kit the colors the, the you know the bright colors the 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 fact that you can color them and paint them or whatever is will be maybe this appeals to somebody it didn't appeal to me mm-hmm. <laughs> it falls short for my for me um of what it could be i think i think their larger picture for them is that they're going to come out you know both mostly the speakers they're going to come up with other similar products to this although i don't know what else both would do maybe they'll make you make your own microphone or something i don't know i think there's that's the that's the play is that there'll be a a product line of it i just for 150 bucks i don't think it's there's enough there to it what do you think what do you think ray okay good um i just i was kind of curious because you guys had a first-hand experience with it Mm -hmm. um and the only thing i could um based my opinion is from what I what I see from the promotional video um, I do think that they're targeting adolescents with this mm-hmm. product what is kind of I'm kind of mixed about it uh, for in one regard they're, they're targeting adolescents as a learning tool that then when you are finished it is a useful object a useful item um, but yeah and the you know the speaker is interesting because the windings is separate from the magnet and you have to understand mm-hmm. how they work together and and I'm I didn't see it but I'm assuming there's also a diaphragm uh, mm-hmm. because that's the other missing component obviously yeah. uh, to make the speaker work uh, to me there this is nothing that you cannot learn by by not taking a, apart a radio and when I was a kid, uh, there was a, a, I found a broken radio. It was like a cassette player, and it was it was completely not working. The, the thing did not work. And so I said, well, uh, and it was and I found it on the on the street. Somebody had thrown it out. So I took the whole thing apart, and it turned out it just had a few broken wires inside. Mm-hmm. And I repaired it, and I ended up with a free radio that I plugged in. So I took it apart, and because they threw it, most of the housing was was cracked and busted mm-hmm. so i took a piece of cardboard uh like uh like chipboard it was like really dense chipboard and i took all the electronic components out and i actually just screwed them onto this piece of cardboard so i had a very weird looking radio because all the guts were on the outside mm-hmm. <laughs> and i i learned uh you know quite a bit from it uh just by looking at the things that were broken and fixing them uh and even the speaker itself i ended up having to uh get another speaker out of an, uh, an old alarm clock radio because this particular speaker, when they threw it, they ripped the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. So I ended up learning the very same things that this thing is teaching you. I learned by taking apart and fixing it. And this was, you know, undirected, um, an undirected activity, uh, simply out of curiosity, back to what uh, uh, Claudia was saying about curiosity. So when I see this, it seems to me to be more of a promotional tool to kind of indoctrinate uh, this adolescence into the Bose name. Yes. Because, uh, and it's very prominent. It's prominent on the packaging. It's prominent on, on the, uh, the speaker itself. Uh, it's, and even the styling cues is very similar to uh, the Bose products. 
in its simplicity, but it's also kind of mimicking a lot of the iPhone design cues as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that this was intentional. They're, they're marketing towards these kids because they want them to, when they get old enough, to buy that $2,000 Bose uh, speaker system or the $10,000 system because I'm not sure if you've ever priced them. They are very expensive. Right. Um, yeah. So I... To me, this was just a promotional tool, and they've put together a whole team to kind of appeal to the to that audience. Uh, and even you know, when you look at the uh, the website, it, it, this is not designed for professionals. It's not designed for adults. Uh, it's really they they know exactly what they're doing. Having said that, uh, for a hundred and fifty bucks, I think it's actually fairly priced only because uh, they have to make this product with twice or three times more parts than you would actually need if you had made it as as one unit that wasn't a, uh, you didn't have the ability to assemble it they made it more complicated unnecessarily mm -hmm. and that means you have more things and more parts and more more stuff went into it than it than if you were just to make a product so just looking at that, 150 bucks I think is too much for this edu quote-unquote educational toy. But for how they've built it, I think it's it's actually fair. Um, I wouldn't get this for anybody myself. No, I mean, I agree with everything Great you said. Great point. I agree with everything you said. I think the one thing that I disagree with is the, the, that they know exactly what they're doing. I don't think they do. I think... <laughs> From I, I a think, marketing point of view. No, I, I think even from a marketing point of view, I think Bose sees that so many people are moving more. The speakers are not as used as much, and everybody moves to the headphones. You, you're wearing, you know, the bigger headphones. There's the Beats. There's all this stuff, um, and so many people are. So many of those companies that make the headphones are also putting out small speakers and stuff. It, it's to me, it's like Kodak refusing to go digital. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, and I think this is what, like I said, it's an attempt at getting kids to recognize the Bose brand as something, but this I don't think this is the way to do it. And I'm not saying I know the way to fix Bose's <laughs> issues of how they're selling enough speakers or not. Yeah. I just don't know that this is the way to do it. So You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, Joe Camel. Hmm. You know? the uh, I'm not saying that <laughs> Bose is like the <laughs> tobacco industry. I'm just saying from the marketing only, mar just marketing point of view, they're looking for to capture that next generation of of, uh, of uh, smokers, of smokers, <laughs> of customers. No, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's like I, I almost envision like a, a parent who has you know the thousand dollar Bose mm -hmm. system, and they're like, "What can I get my kid?" You know, with the same, so they they can have the same thing. Yeah, but oh, I, I mean, can, are a lot this. of are a lot of parents nowadays have the like in the day in the day and age when you can have um, the Amazon Cortana thing. Not only can you speak to it and it looks stuff up for you and and it connects to your phone, but it's also a speaker. Do you need to go buy a Bose just a speaker? You know, like yeah. technology is moving in a way that I don't think Bose is necessarily moving towards and. This is not the thing that's going to help. And I think, you know, the fact that you use Joe Campbell as an example, I use Kodak as an example, sort of tells you what the issue is, and this is not the solution. Yeah. Now, after having said all that, um, I'm not sure if you've actually ever had a Bose system. I don't have one, but I know somebody who does. And it is actually quite, the sound is actually quite impressive. It's very beautiful. You do not expect 
the clarity and the projection out of such a small unit. Uh, it's mm-hmm. theater I, quality sound. I mean, it's beautiful sound. No, uh, no I, don't, I, I I agree one hundred percent. I don't. I've not owned a Bose speaker myself. I've I've ha- I've had clients that have had them and have wanted us to integrate them into their house, into their homes and whatnot. Um, but I think it's still you know Kodak still made the best film, and I never smoked Joe Camel cigarettes, <laughs> but I'm assuming they were probably pretty good. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just saying that that doesn't stop you from being a dying industry. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of uh, buggy whip makers. You know? <laughs> I don't, have I ever, yeah, have I ever no. said that to you? No. So, you know, back when everything was by horse-drawn cab- carriage, mm-hmm. there were quite a few buggy whip makers. I mean, that was an industry, and that was... Right. You could you could be a buggy whip maker your entire life and have a, a comfortable living. Mm. Hard to believe. We joke about it now, but... Nice. But when so they, the people that when you're riding when you're in the buggy and there's the horses you would have a whip that you'd whip the horses so they go faster yeah. so the people would just make the whips. Oh wow! That was the job. Yeah, they yeah. made them out of leather. I mean that was the job. You made buggy whips all day. <laughs> and when the the first horseless carriages came along, you mm-hmm. know those guys were like, oh, I'm just gonna keep making buggy whips. My daddy made buggy whips. His daddy mm-hmm. made buggy whips, and they were refusing to accept uh, the the change in technology right. because the first guy who went out of business that when you don't need horses anymore mm-hmm. was the buggy whip maker right. That's such the, a cool story. yeah the smart guy said oh man mm-hmm. you know these things need tires we should look at right. vulcanizing rubber <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah absolutely uh, yeah. and guys that were making the smart buggy whip makers said well they got seats you got to have leather for the seats i, I got to learn how to make seats Mm-hmm. And that's how they stayed in business. They, like you said, you know, with the Kodak example, if yeah. you don't adapt, you will be left behind. Right. It's adapt or die. That's the world we live in. You know, yeah. Kodak made the best film out there, and instead of going digital, they were like, no, 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 use this other roll of film that you can take out at any point. And they, you know, they created different things that didn't make sense. When that's not the way technology's going. So, no. yeah. anyways, I think that's not a good well. I feel bad saying not a good product for me because the people we met were very were all quite nice and clearly enjoy their product, but yeah. Not for us. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> as a product, as a speaker, it actually functions beautifully. Right, yeah. Um, the, the issues that we are bringing up have nothing to do with its functionality. Right, or its quality or, or the... the, quality, the yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, all right, good. Excellent. So let's move on to the last section of the show, which... Well, let's move on to that. What are we working on section? Um, so I guess we didn't say this at the beginning, or I guess we kind of did, is that the reason we didn't do news this week is because we want to sort of expand this section and talk a little bit more about what we're all working on, um, maybe in a little more detail. Um so who wants to go first? Maybe we take turns, you know, talk about, like, I'm working about this thing and then a little more detail and the next person goes and we, we go back around, I don't know, something like that. Sure. Right. I mean, didn't you guys just come back from like a uh, an art thing? Uh, well, Last I week? Uh, think, uh, I yeah, mean, you this, sold your table. You had a yeah, table. yeah, so this past Saturday I was, so this past week I've been working on two different uh, art pieces, I guess you could call them. Because they're furniture pieces that I've put photographs onto. 
upcycled. Yeah, upcycled the furniture piece and then put you know put some art on it uh, to sell at this uh, art fest that I go to on Saturdays. Um, uh, so I spent quite a bit of time. I I took, we had, like I I looked I found the receipt for it. Like what three years ago we had gone to Philadelphia or the Philadelphia area to actually in search of the rubber venturi house. Um, and while we were out there, we found some Amish country, <laughs> and you know the Amish country had like a lot of antiques or whatever. So we stopped at an antique store and found this kids school table you know so like one of those where the chair is attached to the to the desk oh yeah and it's made out of like a nice metal and you know just the the flap opens up you know that's very nice desk. I oh have, yeah I, yeah i have photos of it i'm gonna put up on uh both facebook and on my uh on my uh on my website i remember um, having a desk like that as a, as a kid. yeah yeah I th- and that's the thing i think everybody looks at it and like oh look at the kid's desk i used to have one just like it or oh yeah i remember going to school in one of those so, yeah, so I painted all the metal parts yellow, um, like a nice bright yellow, uh, very Charlie Brown, like, you know, when you think, yeah. think about it that way. And, and then I put some, some darker stain on the wood parts, which is really the backrest and the seat uh, and, a, and a piece of the top. And then the flat part, I, Claudia and I had been to, not last year, but the year before that, we had gone to a Lego fest in the Virginia area. And... For anybody that, I think, uh, well, when we get closer, when it gets closer to it, I'll post about it. But uh, they, they do it every year. Um, the people bring this just intricate Lego, I want to call them sculptures, but sit, yeah, it ends up being buildings and cities. Uh, so I had taken some photos there, and I took a photo of this sort of Lego landscape, and I put that as sort of the top of this desk. When you look at it, you're almost like, oh, several people look at it and like, oh, what city is that? And they're trying to figure, you, you see they're trying to figure out what city it might be because it's black and white, almost a little abstract. So when you start explaining to them, that's not really a city. It's a, it's Lego buildings. <laughs> and the, the way the photo's taken almost looks like a city. Everybody just sort of like fell in love with it. Like, oh my God, that's amazing. You know? So I just figured a kid's desk, playfully, playfully painted and, you know, a nice sort of playful photograph as well. So I'm assuming it sold. No, no, it didn't quite sell yet because, you know, unfortunately at, the, at this art festival, like somebody has to come sort of looking for that kind of thing. So I still have it here. I'm, I'm listing it on, on Etsy and some other places for somebody locally to get it. There was a lot of interest, but, you know, it's, it's the person that buys it is going gonna, is gonna to almost be looking for that. The art festival is not necessarily the best thing for that. I sort of took it more as sort of to show what we can do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm actually looking at it sitting right here on the on the living room. Um, but so I did that, and I did another piece that's a little simpler. It's more of a a, a little t- side table that I also put a photograph on. But I'll post both of those on my uh, Facebook page and on my website for people to look at. That'll be nice. Yeah. yeah. What about I think you? I, I think I did see a picture of it like at the festival. Yeah, yeah. Festival. I posted some photos on Facebook. And, yeah. Yeah, you probably saw a photo of it there. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ray? What what one thing you've been working on so far? Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, this weekend, uh, Jen and I went to a uh, something quite unusual for us. We went mm-hmm. to a a steam powered. Um, I don't know if you would call it a, a show or a festival. They do it once a mm-hmm. year, and basically, it's everything is steam powered. 
Oh, that's cool. It was, this is actually steampunk. It's not like that steampunk thing that looks like it's steampunk. Correct. Then, no, right? this okay. is actual nice. like old tractors, you know, 100-year-old yeah. tractors that were powered by steam. Nice. And uh, all kinds of uh, children's toys and, and a sawmill that was powered mm -hmm. by steam. So it's, they actually are trying to keep this alive. Um, and it's, it's quite beautiful. The, the, and I took a, I'll be making a video and I'll be posting that. Mm -hmm. uh, I took about 47 video snippets. So I got Very cool. Edit awesome. that together. Uh, but yeah, gorgeous. I mean, just the, be the machines are beautiful. And then to think about them being powered by hot water mm -hmm. is, uh, is even more impressive. You know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, what, what sort of machines did they have? Um, mostly farm equipment. Farm equipment, um, okay. Yeah. Cool. And, you know, we don't think about farm equipment that much. Uh, you might see a tractor here and there, but... Uh, farm equipment has always been at the at the cutting edge of technology, mm. and you know, a hundred or so years ago, when the the, the technology, or maybe even even further back, uh, was steam, um, they were at the cutting edge. I mean, as soon as you could put integrate technology into farm equipment, yeah. they did it. And even I don't know if you're familiar with it uh, today, but they have tractors that basically uh, drive themselves, and mm -hmm. you you can check on them Wi-Fi. You can be sitting. Having coffee and three tractors are out in the field harvesting, and you are watching it uh, on your on your laptop. Yeah. yeah. No. So uh, you know that it, it's quite interesting. So we anyway we went to that, and uh, it was the first time I've ever been to one of those shows, and it was it was uh, gorgeous. So I'll be making a a video on that. But um, cool. as far as making stuff, that's a long list. Uh, I'll I'll cover that on the next round we we go through. <laughs> All right, Claudia, what about you? Well, I'll start with my making list. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I usually design with because there's a problem that needs to be solved or something that, you know, just because I have a need. And this is the silliest thing, but I we needed a shoe rack <laughs> for our new closets. And, um, you know, like they needed to be a specific size. And because the, the, the closets are, are kind of wonky. And, um, That's and a I, you know, yeah, and, yeah. you know, like shoe racks will, will, will <laughs> it would be like 20 bucks, you know, like 20, 25 dollars just for one, you know, tier. And it's like, really, I don't really want to spend 20 dollars on like something like that, something that I just put my shoes on. Mm. So, quick solution I associate to um, cut some pieces of wood that we had laying around, and we went to IKEA and we bought this shelf um, uh, posts and we cut brackets, the, brackets. brackets, yeah, this shelf. Brackets and they were like for five bucks, and yeah, so mm. had shoe racks that custom to mm. my well, to the closet. Yeah. You said five bucks, but the brackets were actually only fifty cents. No, oh, so wow. not yeah. even. Yeah, that maybe five bucks for all of them. Right. Yeah, that's we, for bought, two a, closets, we, we yeah. bought a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, that was for yeah. two closets exactly. Yeah. And yeah, done. You know, done, done deal. Like we didn't have to deal with anything else, and now I moved on, and all my shoes are nicely organized and mm. at the right height. <laughs> then you have levels. They have levels, yeah. Levels of shoes, yeah. And it looks really organized, and mm. that's a simple solution. Mm. And you'll see these things on IKEA hackers and all this mm. other stuff, and people do, and mm. it's kind of nice to to say, "Well, this was my solution for it," yeah. and we were able to do it quick. Yeah, it was good, and you can't beat. I think those brackets, they're they're made of plastic, but they're quite sturdy, and you, I think you can't beat that price, fifty cents for those. If you're not putting anything that's too heavy on it, I would definitely recommend those. I forget the name of the. the I'll try and put it in the notes, the name of the bracket. Um, I'm sure it's something very difficult yeah. to pronounce. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I, cool. I think, yeah, that's it. I mean, the other, other, other 
tasks that I have, like, you know, like design so solutions that I need is like, you know, we created this thing, Jose like designed this steps for our dog to be able to come out of our window <laughs> to our yard to our new yard. So the next thing is like how do we do the same thing inside mm-hmm. so that it doesn't take up all of our space. So I already have like a, You're working on it. Something mm-hmm. in mind already designed mm-hmm. in my head. Then I need to just find the find the materials and put it together and then um yeah, putting maps onto um, furniture is also a really cool thing to do, you know, like um, mod podging. The, that's more of a uh, do-it-yourself arts and crafts mm-hmm. type of thing, but it looks really cool. I, I love maps, and that's something that I'm perfecting because we've done it before multiple mm-hmm. times now, and it's getting better and better and better every time I do it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so another thing actually both of us did and you mentioned this is a, so Claudia's mom has an apartment outside the city, and I noticed, gosh, like a week ago, yeah, like exactly a week ago, that she had some a little bit of water damage over by the tub, because I mean she's owned that place for over ten years and she's had it rented and nobody's ever maintained anything, so she had water damage by the tub. So we we were like, all right, well we'll fix that. We went in there, cut out some drywall, cut some drywall to fit, and you know patched it all up. Um, so we did a little home renovation and while we were at it, we decided to add a, like a, a little wainscot to, to the section. Not really a wainscot, so it's more of a chair rail. It's oh, going to yeah. go around the whole bathroom and then we're going to paint the bottom. It's getting painted a different color of the chair rail. So it's gone and then she can keep this way. It kept her from having to repaint the whole bathroom. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're never going to match that paint. Of course. So we, yeah, so we came up with a little divider, uh, chair rail thing and yeah, that's almost finished. And I and I have to say, like the best part of the whole thing was my mom, looking at me and saying, "Hey, you actually know how to do these things." <laughs> so she was surprised. She was very surprised, and also, you know, just her like having, you know, once someone asking her, you know, like, "Hey, what color would you like for your house?" She mm-hmm. never had those luxuries, and she's able to do that now. So it's a mm-hmm. pretty cool thing. Oh, cool. No, give give us give us another thing, right? That you're working on. Um, well, I've been been doing a couple of things. You know uh, that we mentioned that wooden boat that I was building in my living room. Yeah. So I've put it outside now, and I've been finishing up the uh, the bottom of the hull. What's interesting about this boat is, you know, normally you have a, a set of plans, and you have a pretty good idea of what you're gonna build. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started this boat, and I, I'm not sure if you uh, if you've seen any of the videos on this boat, particular boat, the wooden one. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a couple of the videos. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's unusual because I what I did is I went to the to the lumber yard and I said, you know, I think I'm gonna I can make a boat from this stuff right here. Mm-hmm. And I I spent less than a hundred dollars, and there's no I didn't have any forms, I didn't have any plans, I just kind of started building the boat and mm-hmm. out of out of lumberyard materials in an untraditional kind of way and um it's basically a, a frameless boat um mm-hmm. it's yeah. it's uh, it is uh, unusual in its construction so i'm finishing up the the bottom and i hope to have it in the water uh probably in about a month or so mm. um so it's it's uh, going to be weird and and it should be big enough that uh two or three people Two people definitely, three people I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. it is 12 foot long. Um, I'll, I'll, so it'll be interesting to to get this in the water. Nice. And then, uh, I've got about two more videos that I'll be putting together on the finishing the construction of that. 
<laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, completely cool. different, especially from my other unusual boats, the clear boats. Yeah, the folded, the folded ones. Yeah, yeah. those are mm-hmm. those are unusual on their in their own in their own Merit. way. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's really cool. So it's two people and a cat, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe a one-way trip for a cat. <laughs> no, but you know what? The orange, my fat orange cat, he'd he'd probably love it. Yeah, let's see. And he would count as the third person. So he's, a big, he's a big guy. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's go one more time. We're going to give give me another thing that you that you're working on, or even that you watched. Or no, I'll just I'll be quick on this one. I mean, it's um, the final step of what we were talking about for makers. You know, it's like how do you share your product or your solution? How do you market your stuff? Mm-hmm. So um, making websites, mm-hmm. it's something that people don't necessarily think of making. Mm-hmm. But it's so easily accessible now to do. And um, so one of the... Right now I'm working... I, first, I want to work on our, on our own website. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be using Adobe Portfolio for that. Because if you already if you already have um, Adobe Cloud... Creative Cloud. Creative Cloud, you automatically have Adobe Portfolio for free. Mm-hmm. Which basically allows you to put your own... Create your own portfolio online. Uh, you just need to buy a domain, yeah. and that's it. So, and it's an easy way to put in photos and of your of anything that you're making mm-hmm. in there. You can write some text in there and stuff like that. So, it's a it's a fairly simple platform. The other platforms that I usually use is um, and I've Ray has talked to me about this before. And then once I started using it, I completely sold is in the Google Sites page, and um, and how easily it is to do, and it's free. Uh, if you want to have your own domain, you just have to buy it through them, and it's twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. But it's really cool because you, it's a project management website that you can do. So if you for collaboration on a specific project, whether it's making or anything else, um, I'm using it for the Sierra Club mm-hmm. for the work that I'm doing with them. And uh, you know, right now we have at least twelve people working on three nice. different projects, and that's because of the Google Sites page and its templates, and it's so easy to use as well. And then Squarespace is another one that I, I use for my own. And that's $12 per month, so it's fairly accessible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so um, creating maps, you know, like looking at infographics, design templates, that kind of stuff. Like, what do you do once you have your pictures and yeah. how do you share it and go into social media, looking at the templates for the images that you post on social media. All of that stuff is available online. Just a quick search and you'll be able to market your stuff mm-hmm. and, and sort of tied into that something that you haven't mentioned that you did do this past week is you were on a radio show ah yeah i was I, yeah. that was from we act radio and that was pretty cool too it was um can you say the name of it again so it was we act radio it's uh a national syndicated radio but they have a so they do it by community as well and this was for the ward 8 community for the dc i guess the dc mm-hmm. we act radio and um, what's interesting is that they don't have these available online. So th- they do record them, but they don't necessarily have them available. The recordings readily available. You really have to uh, look for them. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it goes back to the same thing of back in the day, right? When you used to go on on just a radio station and you would talk about a specific grievance that mm-hmm. the community had on the radio, and that's happening again. And that's what we were doing. We were all discussing gentrification nice yep yeah very cool old school and and uh yeah yeah i like it 
cool. Uh, so for myself, I'll go two quick things. Uh, I'm still watching BattleBots. People really need to get into the BattleBots. They're really, they're really, really good this year. Um, like I said, some of them have drones and there's just some good battles going on. So, so yeah, and, the, and there's some characters too <laughs> on, that drive the the the, the bots. Um, so yeah, it's still not too late to get in. There's still like they just figured out the round of 32, so there's still. <laughs> 32 more fights at least to go um, and then the other thing that I started working on is I think I mentioned earlier that I'm looking at doing some model kits um, first doing some that are or that I can buy but I, I want to eventually start sort of making my own and the place where I've sort of gone to is sort of uh, making a couple of Star Wars things um, so I have this uh, I bought a while ago this R2D2 um, model kit from I mean, this dates back to like the '70s, from when Return of the Jedi came out, right? So I bought this vintage model kit that was still locked, that was still in the in the box here. Um, you can sort of see the picture. Well, we can see the picture. Tell of me, it. tell me, you took it out of the box. I, I've taken it out of the box. Okay, and, good. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, but this is a box, though. You can see here. Um, but so I'm gonna, I'm starting to put it together. But you can see what I started doing is I did research. So this is the sort of the difference in scale, right? This toy is the little three inch Kenner toy that you can buy for kids. And the model kit itself is probably like three times oh, as yeah. big, right? Yeah. You can compare that. So I'm gonna take, I'm doing the research for some of the other less known toys from the Star Wars. This is what's called a power droid or some people call it the gunk droid. I have never and seen that. Uh, yeah, it sort of sits in the background of the. It sits in the background of a lot of the movies, um, and it's basically like a big trash. It almost looks like a big trash can that just has two legs, and it just sort of walks around. You can sort of mostly see it, and I believe episode four, when R two D two gets captured by the Jaguars. So there's a couple of them just saying, and th that's the scene that has the most sort of droids lined up. So I've gone through and I've collected a few of the toys now. And I'm going to start making these toys into scale models at the larger scale, at the one thick scale, which uh -huh. is, you know, if something is six foot tall, then you end up with a six inch toy, right? Yeah. So that's what these guys are going to be. These guys are like a, a third of that scale are the, the toys that you buy from um, Hasbro or Kenner or whatever. So I'm going to start, I started modeling this guy in in uh, using the free software from uh, AutoCAD, the one to three design, because that software is easy to integrate to a 3D printer. And I'm going to print some of it and then work, work, and then eventually cast it in silicone to make molds and then make casts of it. So, you yeah. know what that uh, that tree with the R2D2 parts on it that you had put that up again? Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. Uh, this is the this came out of the yeah. injection mold. Because right? I'm looking at that and I'm like, why don't we make those parts out of metal? Like as you see them right there, we make them out yeah. of metal. We yeah, and we, we we could do that, I guess. Uh, if you I don't know if you saw the video for the for the when we were at the Maker Fair, the art there was a short quick part of it is the the R two D two builders or the Astrodroid builders. Those guys make full-size <laughs> droids out of metal sometimes. Huh. Yeah. You might but know somebody who has access to metalworking equipment. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I do. You might. I think I, I, think I, might, <laughs> I might have an idea of somebody. But yeah, I mean, that'd be kind of cool, too, if we can make some of these guys maybe in 
in uh, in metal or something. We yeah, definitely do some of that stuff. Well, you know, as I scale it and, and make models of them, we can definitely do something with it. Well, it's interesting. Is uh, uh, I'm going to be making a video about uh, casting metal, mm -hmm. you know, in a small scale where you, something you could do like in your kitchen. Well, you wouldn't want to do it in your kitchen, but you could do mm -hmm. it, you know, outside. Uh, one of the things that I used to do was manufacture jewelry mm -hmm. when I was younger. So there is a technique that. Uh, that we only used on rare occasions. Most of the time we did lost wax casting mm. uh, with investment. Uh, but there is a way to get those, and I forget what they're called, but you know people who have birds, they have these little things they sell in the pet store that you put on the cage and the, and it, the bird chews on it. It's like a calcium yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is extremely heat resistant. And you can, mm. uh, you guys don't remember this, but uh, one year, uh, when I was in architecture school, I made bridges and I mm. cast the bridges out of metal. Mm. So, yeah. of course, I was wow. that guy that showed up with cast metal bridges. And then that's, <laughs> that is all the professor could talk about. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about doing a, like an instruction <laughs> video on how to do that with just stuff that you have lying around the house. Mm. And what will be interesting is your droid, especially if they're small enough, you can take, the, take it apart and create molds and then cast all those pieces of metal very easily hmm? in well, a small scale. Interesting, actually, because I recently watched a video where you could you could make a mold out of silicone and you could cast, it was the sort of the low meld, uh, low heat meld metals like pewter. Yeah. Using a special silicone that is a little more heat resistant than the regular silicone. And you could make some pewter, um, some pewter castings of it. So yeah, I think maybe we could definitely do something like that. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah, and, and that technique is, you know, those are not to cast a thousand pieces, but you can probably get two or three out of them mm -hmm. before you have to make another mold. But yeah. it's very inexpensive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Cool. No, I think there's definitely some potential for doing other things. And, you know, the thing that turned me on to this was when I went to the, um, I hate the name of it, the Awesome Con here in D.C., which is, you know, the D.C. Comic Con. And just the lack of people doing this kind of kits at this particular comic book convention. Um, Which is the kind of thing that, that is geared for that kind of stuff. Right, and that's the reason why I try and go to it. So, yeah. yeah. No, but Ray, what about you? What, what's one other thing, before we wrap it up here, uh, that you've been working on or that you want to let people know that you've seen or, yeah, working on? Well, uh, you know that I have the, uh, the homemade lathe group. Mm -hmm. Facebook. So one of the members uh, kind of casually was, was talking about, uh, uh, you know, a, a different idea for a lathe. And you know that a lathe has material that is horizontal and it spins. Mm -hmm. And then the tool is stationary and you use it to cut on, on the material. So uh, we, you know, he was kind of casually mentioning orienting it vertically and this and that. And I said, you know what, that will be an awesome idea. So I'm going to be building a vertical wood turning lathe. It's hmm. quite unusual and unheard of. Mm -hmm. um, and you may recall the last time you were at my shop that we have a vertical lathe for metal. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It, well, the one that's the Russian one, the ones in, all the way in the back. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, so I don't remember from last time, but I think you showed it to us like a, a few a few times back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that one was built in in Moscow. It still has the mm -hmm. Russian tag on it. Yeah. Back in the 50s, I think. It's a very old mm -hmm. machine. But it is a vertical lathe. Um, mm -hmm. So it just so happens I have a bunch of parts in my shop that I could 
I could use to make this. So um, it's a very unusual thing where, where one of the members kind of brought out this idea. And I'm like, you know what? That'll be a great idea. Let's build a vertical lathe and see how it works. Nice. So that's a project that I'm going to be coming out with um, in video form on my YouTube channel, uh, probably in the next month or so. Very cool. And how, how tall do you think you're going to make yeah. this thing? Well, um, it won't be tall, even though it's vertical, only, you know, the material is vertical. I think mm -hmm. that the whole unit will probably weigh, it'll be, it'll be lightweight, probably about 500 pounds, and um, it'll probably only be three or four feet tall. So you would start like at table height with it and then go three feet or four feet above that? Uh, no, the actual plate where the material mm -hmm. gets attached to will probably be right about three feet. Mm. And so then the material sits on top of that, so depending on the size of the material. The advantage of it is is that you, you're not fighting gravity. Right. When, when you have material horizontally, you're fighting gravity. Mm -hmm. uh, this so okay, so in right okay, so when you say you're not fighting gravity, you mean you're not hold, you're not gonna hold you don't have to hold it at two ends. Correct. You just need to hold it at the bottom. Right. And then I I think what I'll do is I'll use because it'll be geared. Mm -hmm. um, it just so happens all the 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 parts that I have were were destined for another project that never that never. Uh, came to fruition. The customer decided that they didn't want it, so it, it stopped at just buying the parts. Yeah. So that was a couple of years ago, and now I have parts. I'm like, you know what? It, these parts will be perfect for this project, so I'm going to do that. And be, I think it'll be interesting. First time I'll ever build uh, a lathe in a vertical configuration. I have built several, <laughs> several mm -hmm. lathes. It's not my first lathe, but it'll be the first vertical one, so I think it'll be kind of interesting. Yeah, no, I think... The, the, the interesting thing to me is because as we were just talking about, you know, space, space, right? It takes up a much smaller footprint, right? Oh, yeah. Because you don't have to go horizontal. You're going up, you know, usually vertically it's not as big an, an issue for space as it is horizontally. Yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Now, this particular one is going to be probably a little heavier duty than, than what you're thinking for you guys. But yeah, conceptually, it'll be similar. Right, yeah. And you'll be able to do anything that you do on a... Yep. Exactly. Right. Regular. Huh? Yeah, cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, even your current lathe is more of a bowl lathe, right? You can't necessarily hold it two ends with it. Correct. It's a bowl lathe. It doesn't have a bed or a right. or a tailstock. Right. Mm -hmm. So this one, if you want to make a baseball bat with it, you could actually do that. With your lathe, it'd be a little harder to make a baseball bat, for example, right? Because it, it, you're not holding the one end. Correct. That might be sticking out a while. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah, and, and if you're interested in the concept, it's not a new concept. It's been around uh, for woodworking. If you look up drill press lathe, mm -hmm. uh, people have figured out how to turn a drill press into huh. a vertical lathe. So conceptually, yeah. nothing, you know, that dramatic, except yeah. that I'll be building it from scratch. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, it's very cool. I, I like the idea of it. Nice. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's one right there. Nice. Cool. All right, great. So that's some stuff to look forward to even. Uh, in the future. Yep. Very cool. Yeah, it shows progression too, yeah. which is great. Yeah. yeah. I'm doing things slightly different, so I like it. Cool. Well, yeah, that's. Um, we're going to wrap up this show here. We've recorded for like an, over an hour and a half, but, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, let everybody know where they can see more about each other. Yeah. You can find me at the city ecologist on Twitter or the city ecologist.com. Cool. Uh, Ray? Uh, you can find me at uh, my YouTube page. Uh, obviously, that's a long, a long thing, and it's kind of gibberish. Or my uh, my my Facebook uh, homemade lathe page. 
Yep, cool. And we have links to all of that in the in the description. And I am at uh, cityaperture.com or cityaperture on Twitter. And you can now follow Made on 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 Twitter as well. It's Made Podcast. Yes. On Twitter, and uh, we also have a Facebook page for Made for Facebook page for Made. So yeah, follow us there. And uh, as always, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Oh. Hope this was helpful. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Bye.